are on air for Fan for Racing Radio this Thursday morning. It's September the 7th, and uh, we're ready to do our Kansas, the second Kansas NASCAR Weekend Preview, along with our Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us for today's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. A lot of racing again going on this weekend. Fans kind of centered on the United States, center of the United States. But as we get into short track and dirt track, there's a lot going on elsewhere. So I know we got another jam-packed preview show. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're going to start in our first half hour with uh, upcoming short track races so fans can kind of decide which ones they want to attend. Uh, we always encourage people to go to their local short tracks and take part in the racing that's taking place right there in their own neighborhoods. Next, we're going to preview the Arkham Menard Series race that's taking place out at Kansas Speedway this weekend. And we'll also include a brief update on the next races for the ARCA East and the series updates. Um, now, uh, during the next hour, we're going to preview NASCAR's top three series, uh, and that will be the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. They're all racing at Kansas Speedway this weekend. Now, the Truck Series this is an elimination race, so we'll find out who is going to advance and who is not. Uh, the Xfinity Series, this is their season finale, so that's going to be a big event. And for the NASCAR Cup Series, this is the second race in their round of 16. So uh, a lot of exciting races happening this week at Kansas. Uh, of course, we want you to stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. We do have Andy Lasky and Brian Everly will be joining us for the Hot Topic Sound Off discussion. So with that, Jay, uh, we're ready to get started with some short track racing that's taking place this weekend, uh, starting today. Uh, all right, let me pull those up with today being the seventh, make sure I start on the seventh there again. I know we got several uh, pulled for the weekend, so looks like the seventh we got some dirt. Uh, the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars are going to be at Silver Dollar Speedway. That'll be covered on Dirt Vision if you can't get out to the track, as Sharon mentioned. You can watch it on Dirt Vision at 8.30 p.m. Also, the World 100 Eldora Speedway, 6 p.m., covered on Flow Racing. You're going to hear more about that throughout the entire uh, preview here. Then the Tuscarora 50, that'll be at Port Royal Speedway at 6 p.m., covered on Flow Racing. And one more on Flow Racing at 8.30 p.m. will be the USAC Sprints coming from Devil's Bowl Speedway, and that'll be at 8.30 p.m. Okay, moving on here, I think we've got some other... Uh, September 8th. No, we don't. Uh, let's, I'm going to go to September 8th for dirt track and short track racing. I'll go about halfway, Jay, and then we'll let you take over. Uh, starting with the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series at Silver Dollar Speedway, uh, they're back again. 
this time 8.30 p.m. on Dirt Vision. We told you you're going to be hearing a lot about the World 100 at Eldora Speedway, a huge event this weekend in Eldora. Uh, you can watch the second race of that event of the weekend, and that's at 6 p.m. on Flow Racing. Also at 6 p.m. on Flow Racing is the Tuscarora 50 at Port Royal Speedway at 6 p.m. At 8.30 p.m. on Flow Racing, you can watch the USAC Sprints and Late Models at Texarkana 67 Speedway uh, on Flow Racing at 6.20 p.m. A little bit earlier is the URC Sprint Cars, and that's at Georgetown Speedway, again, 6.20 p.m. And uh, let's go with the Weekly Racing at Sharon Speedway at 6.30 p.m. at Dirt Vision also on Dirt Vision at 6.30 p.m. at Attica Raceway Park is the NASCAR Weekly Racing Series. So, uh, uh, Jay, I'll let you kind of pick up from here. Well, sticking right there at 6.30, if you got uh, multiple windows open or more than one computer to watch it on, Dirt Vision at 6.30 is going to have um, the... No, weekly, we're talking oh, sorry, uh, that was, Flow yeah, Racing. That was, yep, that, uh, Flow Racing, sorry, yep. You covered the one from Dirt Vision. If you got Flow Racing up, it'll be the Re- Rebel Weekend at Autodrome Granby at 6.30. At 6, 6.45 on Flow Racing, Utica Rome Speedway, and you can watch the Empire Super Sprints. Some other sprints flow on Flow Racing at 7 p.m. is the IRA Sprints, and that's from Gonduck Law Speedway. 7.15 at Dirt Vision, local or weekly racing, Jacksonville Speedway. Flow Racing also covers some weekly racing with New Tulsa Speedway at 7.30 p.m., as well as 8 p.m., and there it's a weekly points race from Port City Raceway. And on just the short tracks, again, we've got a couple of weekly racing. Stafford Speedway going to be on at 5.45 p.m. on Flow Racing, as well as at 7 p.m. weekly racing from Thunder Road International Speedway. Okay, for dirt, on September the 9th, I have the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series at Silver Dollar Speedway at 8.30 p.m. That was will be covered on Dirt Vision, and I'm going to go ahead and cover the other ones here on Dirt Vision. Uh, they have weekly racing at Sharon Speedway at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, also, uh, the rest of these are on Flow Racing. We have the World 100 again out at Eldora Speedway, 6 p.m. at Flow Racing. Also at 6 p.m. at the same location, Flow Racing is the Tuscarora 50 at Port Royal Speedway at 6 p.m. Uh, 7 p.m., the IRA Sprints at Cedar Lake Speedway. And 8 p.m. on Flow Racing is the Comp Cans Late Model at Boot Hill Speedway. Again, 8 p.m. on Flow Racing. But we also have some short check racing on September 9th. And all of that is going to be on Flow Racing again. That We've got a bunch of different times wherever you're at and can watch. Uh, starting at 4 p.m., it will be the NASCAR Wheeling Modified Tour. That's going to come from Monadoc Speedway. Looks like uh, next one up uh, time-wise would be 5 p.m., NASCAR Weekly Racing from River Speedway at 5 50, you can watch the NASCAR Championship Night from Jennerstown Speedway. 
Then 6 p.m., you got your choice of the 500 Sprint Car Tour from Lorraine Raceway Park or the NASCAR Championship Night, and that would be from Berlin Speedway. At 7 p.m., Smart Modified Tour, that's at Dominion Raceway, or NASCAR Weekly Racing from Langley Speedway. At 8 p.m., the Cars Tour from New River All-American Speedway is on at 8 p.m., 8.15, NASCAR Weekly Racing from All-American Speedway. And finally, at 8.30, NASCAR Weekly Racing from Meridian, Miss, or Meridian Speedway. And those are all on Flow Racing. And again, you got your choice all night long. Yeah, absolutely. Also on te- uh, September the 10th, we have a couple of other races, uh, both dirt and short tracks coming up here. On Dirt Vision at 5.45 p.m., you can watch the Super Dirt Car Series at Wheat Sports Speedway. And at 10 a.m., 10 a.m., on Flow Racing, the Wild Thing Kart Series at Stafford Motor Speedway is available. So, uh, again, a lot of racing. And uh, if you can't be at the track, you're covered with Flow Racing and Dirt Vision, all having uh, races available. All right. Uh, let's see. We're a little bit ahead of ourselves here, Jay. Uh, maybe we should cover some of the news that we can see over at Racing America. Well, I got to tell you one thing, and this is uh, strictly from a, a historical uh, standpoint, but uh, Toledo's going to have Seneca's Bluebird number 84. Uh, Bob Seneca, one of those in the uh, Midwest, if you will. I would love the chance to see that car again because I actually saw him race uh, some events there in Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Hey, well, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I just want to uh, also bring up here that the SRL series uh, has a race coming up. The Spears Southwest Tour, the Alley Breaks 100, is on September 16th out at Irwindale Speedway. They're paying out $7,333 to the winner. Plus, they'll have Spears Pro Late and Modified Series events there as well. On the national tour uh, schedule, we've got, uh, let's see here, what's coming up? The SRL National, nope, they don't have that updated. These are August dates. Uh, So I'm not sure, but keep in mind that you can watch races uh, available at the Spears uh, Southwest Tour Speedway um, TV. So the next one they have after the 16th is the Auburndale Speedway, 4 p.m. Pacific, Saturday, September 30th, uh, is available. So there's two races to look forward to there in the uh, SRL series. Uh, and then also uh, any others that uh, popped out at you with regard to the Racing America site, Jay? Not not, not as far as uh, upcoming races. I know we got some debuts and stuff, but I was trying to look and see. I don't see any other races coming up to highlight. Well, yeah, let me just uh, mention a couple here. The Cars Tour Weekly Touring Series with Chris Burns and Andy Marquis uh, will be on September 7th at 6.30 p.m. On September 9th, you've got several races to choose from. The Oxford Plains Speedway Championship Night, 
3 p.m. on Racing America. September 9th, the JEG CRA All-Star Tours and Reveal the Hammer Outlaws, 6 p.m. Uh, uh, start time, September the 9th. And also on September 9th, you've got the Citrus County Speedway for the Sportsman's Twin 30s and Legends Twin 25 starting at 6.30 p.m. And again on September 9th, the Night of Champions uh, available at 9 p.m. at Five Lakes Speedway over at Racing America. So uh, there are some races to look forward to, uh, hopefully at Racing America as well. And that's another one. I know a lot of what we covered was from Flow Racing and Dirt Vision, but Racing America, another one, a platform that brings you the racing action. So, again, if you can't find a race to watch, you are not looking. (laughs) That is the truth. All right, we're going to go ahead and move on to our Arkham and Art Series race that's taking place uh, at Kansas Speedway this weekend. Uh, The Sioux Chief Fast Track 150 on Friday, that's tomorrow night, September the 8th. That's my dad's birthday. He's gone, but uh, I always remember him on his birthday. Uh, that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central on Fox Sports 1. At, again, live coverage is available 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Central Time. Well, the Sioux Chief Fast Track 150 at Kansas Speedway. That's going to be the 17th of 20 races for the Arca Menards Series here in 2023. It's also the second race for the series at Kansas Speedway this season. The first one in May was won by current Arca Menards Series championship leader, Jesse Love. And that's not the last time you're going to hear his name. <laughs> Jesse Love enters the Suchi Fast Track 150 with a 128-point lead in the Arkham Menard Series Championship standings, and that's over second-place driver Andres Perez de Lara. Hollywood actor turned race car driver Frankie Munoz, well, he's third. He's just 20 points out of second. That's where the real race is uh, to be watched in the Arkham Menard Series. Certainly with these uh, three or four remaining races, uh, that's where I think you're right. I think we're going to want to keep our eyes on but NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series regular Dean Thompson, he's returning to the Arkham Menard Series for the first time since he earned the General Tire Pole Award and finished fourth back at Pocono Raceway in July. And Thompson started third and finished a career best second in the Arkham Menard Series' first visit to Kansas Speedway back in May. Okay, and making her first appearance in the Arkham Menard Series since she finished ninth at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park in August, is Tony Breidinger. Breidinger has 10 starts to, in this season, and she's earned two top five and five top ten finishes in all of her most recent five starts. Her best finish is a pair of fifth-place results at Berlin Raceway and Iowa Speedway. Another first of sorts will be LeVar Scott, as he'll make his first appearance in a standalone Arkham Menard Series race since he led 14 laps and finished fourth in the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. Scott is currently third in the Arkham Menard Series East Championship standings, heading into their final race of the season, which will be at Bristol Motor Speedway. That'll be coming up on Thursday, September 14th. 
Okay, another driver returning to the cockpit is Connor Mosack. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 18 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing at Kansas. Mosack has made five starts with that team this season. He has a pair of runner-up finishes at Daytona and Pocono, and his best result, where he had his best result. Mozak hopes to help the number 18 close out the 21-point gap on the Venturini Motorsports 20 team in the Arkham Menard Series owner standings. And the number 18 has won the owner championship in each of the last three seasons. So 2021 20, uh, under Joe Gibbs Racing Umbrella and last year under Kyle Busch Motorsports. Well, you said we, you'd hear the name again, and it probably won't be the last time even at all on the show, but Jesse Love has won nine of the 16. I'm going to read that again. Nine of the 16 Arkham Menard Series races that have been held so far in 2023. He has wins at Talladega Speedway, Kansas Speedway, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Elko Speedway, Pocono Raceway, Michigan International Speedway, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, Watkins Glen International, and the DeCoin State Fairgrounds. Okay, the Suchi Fast Track 150 will be the 27th Arkham Art Series race at Kansas since the track opened in 2001. Previous winners there include Jason Jarrett in that uh, inaugural year, Frank Hamlin there in 2002, 6, and 13. Shelby Howard has a win in 2003. Ryan Hempel in 2004. Chad Blount won there in 2005, followed by Scott Legacy Jr. in 2007. Scott Speed, he won there in 2008, followed by Parker Kligerman in 2009. Then it was Ty D- Dillon winning in 2010. Alex Bowman has a couple of wins in 2011 and 12. Spencer Gallagher won there in 2014. Mason Mitchell, I really miss him in racing. He won there in 2015. Chase Briscoe in 2016. Michael Self won there in 2017. Sheldon Creed in 2018, followed by Christian Eckes in 2019. Then it was Brett Holmes winning in 2020. Corey Heim also had a win there in 2020, but he also won in 21 and 22. Ty Gibbs also has a 21 win there, followed by Nick Sanchez also with a 21 win as well as a 22 victory. And, of course, Jesse Love won there earlier this season. Well, you hit a couple of names there that we don't hear a lot um, when it comes to the Arkham and Ard series anymore, but they were a part of history. And that's Alex Bowman. He holds the Arkham Menard Series track qualifying record at Kansas Speedway, set back in 2012 at 29.258 seconds, which equals 184.559 miles per hour. Well, another name that we're kind of familiar with in the truck series uh, also holds the record at that track. Christian Eckie set a 100-mile race record at Kansas Speedway in 2019 at 1 hour, 3 minutes, and 31 seconds, representing a speed of 141.695 miles per hour. A couple other records when it comes to the track. Most caution flags in a 150-mile Arkham Menard Series race at Kansas Speedway. 
is at 10 with, for record 53 laps. And that was set in 2006. On the fewest end for caution flags in a 150-mile race, at Kansas, that's two, coming back in 2019 and 2020, as well as 2021. The record for the fewest laps under caution, that was in 2019, and was or there was only six. Wow. The record for the most lead changes in the ARCA series at Kansas Speedway is 11. Uh, that was in 2021, their inaugural year. And that was matched again in 2007 and 2008. Ty Gibbs led the entire distance in 2021. Well, speaking of distance, should the race need to be extended into overtime, there will be unlimited attempts at the two-lap green-white checkered finish. Should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag is displayed, there will be unlimited attempts at a one-lap green and white together finish. So, again, a little bit different for the ARCA series. Yep, and we always like to make sure we, we point that out uh, for folks at uh, that are listening to our preview. Uh, let's take a look at the entry list for this weekend. Uh, we've got quite a few drivers entered. I don't know if you counted them yet, Andy, but uh, there's quite a few here. I'll start with the 06 Kevin Hinkle from Shawnee, Kansas. So he's going to be a local driver there. He's driving for Wayne Peterson Racing. The KH Automotive Chevrolet, Mate Muller, will be on top of the pit box. The Club Racing Incorporated machine will be there in the 03. It'll be Alex Club from Morris, Illinois, driving that Ford. And then Brian Club going to be the crew chief. Another local from DeSoto, Kansas, is Mandy Chick. She's going to be behind the wheel of the number 74 Dynamic Drivelines, JRCTax.com, FK Rod Inns Chevrolet uh, for their uh, uh, family-owned team. Steve Chick will be on top of the pit box. Not so local uh, as far as hometown from Buffalo, New York, is the 73, and that is Andy Jakoyak in the Wheeling 73 Toyota, owned by Kevin Lapierre and Mike Dayton, the one calling the shots. Well, Cody Reed, I'm sorry, not Cody, Kevin. Kevin Reed Sr. will be on top of the pit box for the number 72 driven by Cody Coughlin from Delaware, Ohio. He'll be driving the Jags Coughlin Company Ford for the family-owned team. We're going to cover a couple of different states in these next few as we got the number 69. That'll be Scott Melton from Rockford, Michigan, bringing the Melton McFadden Insurance and Donna Donut sponsorship to that Bill Kimmel-owned and crew chief Toyota. Okay, driving the number 66 is John Garrett from Athens, Texas. He'll be behind behind the wheel of the Fort Worth screen printing Chevrolet for uh, the Hillenburg organization. Mike Schroof is the crew chief. I think I said Kevin Reed Sr. Jr. before for uh, Cody Coughlin. It was actually Kevin Reed Sr., yeah, as we got a junior coming up here, uh, we'll hit that here on the Tony, Tony Breidinger, number 55, Venturini Toyota. 
and I could tie Raising Cane's uh, sponsorship there into so many things, but uh comes out of Hillsborough, California, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I think that's a good idea, Jay. Okay, Jeff Smith is going to be on top of the pit box uh, for Brad Smith's familiar number 48. They hail from Shelby Township, Michigan. He'll be driving the Capriya Chevrolet. Then we got the number 32, Kevin Sawinski Ford. Driver we know, Christian Rose out of Martinsburg, West Virginia, and he loves his home because he's bringing the West Virginia Department of Tourism sponsorship with him as well as Ryan London on the box. Okay, and the Gillette uh, Chevrolet this weekend is Rita Gillette uh, behind the wheel. She'll be driving that number 31 National Police Association uh, vehicle. They hail from McCalla, Alabama, and Tim Gillette will be on top of the pit box. Then you got the... Hollywood actor turned driver Frankie Munoz, he's in that number 30, Rhett Jones Racing Ford, owned and crew chief by Mark Rhett. Frankie coming out of Scottsdale, Arizona. And from Mooresville, North Carolina, is Carson Quapple. He's going to be behind the wheel of the number 28 Chevrolet performance vehicle this weekend for Mark Webb. Oops. All right. And the number 25, Venturini Toyota. That one's going to be by a truck series regular driver, Dean Thompson. He comes out of Anaheim, California, has the MCM Transportation Sponsorship, and Manan Raman. If I'm trying that one, I don't know I'm saying that name right, but that's uh, the crew chief there on the number yeah. 25. Uh, Jay, you're not going to believe that, but that was. Your pronunciation. That was, what was that, Sharon? Pronunciation was perfect. Okay. Oh, good deal. Good deal. <laughs> I don't say that often, but that's, that's that was good. Okay. Uh, our series points leader, Jesse Love, is behind the wheel of his familiar Venturini Motorsports number 20, hailing from Redwood City, California. He'll drive the JBL Toyota for Venturini from Chicago. <laughs> One we already kind of highlighted, that's the Joe, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota number 18. Connor Mozak going to be behind the wheel coming from Charlotte, North Carolina, along with the Mobile One sponsorship and Matt Ross in his ear. All right. Uh, driving another Venturini vehicle this weekend is Jake Finch. He'll drive the number 15 Phoenix Construction Toyota with Caden Lapovich as his crew chief. Chief. He hails from Lynn Haven, Florida. Both Virginias are covered now as from Williamsburg, Virginia. We got Ryan Huff in the number 12 in a Hillenburg Ford. Jeremy Petty going to be helping him along there on that Southeastern Services Land and Coats machine. Another Toyota, another Hillenburg vehicle, but this time a Toyota. And Nathan Davis is the pit, uh, the uh, crew chief, and behind the wheel of the number 11 Toyota is Matt Kemp from Sawyer, Michigan, uh, with Fast Track Racing on the side of his car. Tim Moroa, series regular there in the Hillenburg Ford number 10, comes out of Elmwood, Illinois, 
Uh, looks like he's maybe going to have to call his own shots, but he brings the FastTrackRacing.com program to the Arca Menard series. Okay, we've got a couple of Max Siegel Chevrolets coming up next from Rev Racing. Jay Lupo is the crew chief on top of the number six driven by LaVar Scott. He hails from Carneys Point, New Jersey, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what he does this weekend. The other Max Siegel Incorporated machine is the number two of Andres Perez de Lara, and he comes from Mexico City, Mexico, so we're not just talking about the United States. And he's got Jamie Jones as his crew chief for the year. And I believe that total there was 22, Sharon, 22 drivers listed. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Uh, Other articles I'm really going to encourage you to take a look at over at ArcaRacing.com. Mandy Chick, we mentioned her as one of the uh, locals that will be racing at Kansas Speedway this weekend. There's a nice feature about her uh, up at ArcaRacing.com. So definitely check that out and learn more about Mandy Chick. They always got articles up there covering a lot of different things. The drivers, uh, some history stuff. So if you want to check out that Arkham Menard series homepage, as well as check on, and I know, Sharon, you're probably going to highlight it here, the upcoming races for the other series. That's right. Uh, the Arca East, Jay, is going to have their season finale on September 14th. That's next weekend starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time at Bristol Motor Speedway. They'll be racing the Bushes Beans 200, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Can't wait to see what happens in that season finale. And I believe that's another combination race with the Arkham and Art Series. And where else, what better place, though, for it? Could you have an East Series that, you know, than Bristol Motor Speedway, you know, that represents short tracks, the smaller tracks, the young drivers getting their start. So, yeah, Bristol Motor Speedway, an excellent place to have their season finale. Absolutely. Okay, also for the ARCA West, uh, it's not their season finale. They have a few more races left in the season. But on September 30th at 10.45 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, they will be racing the Napa Auto Parts 150 at All-American Speedway. You can catch that race via live streaming over at Flow Racing. So, Jay, I believe that means it's time for us to move on to the NASCAR's National Series, starting with the Craftsman Truck Series for the Kansas Lottery 200 at Kansas Speedway this Friday, September the 8th. That's tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Uh, They'll carry pre-race coverage starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll race a distance of 201 miles over 134 laps. First two stages are 30 laps apiece. So in stage one ends on lap 30, stage two on lap 60. The final stage, which is 74 laps, ends on lap 174. Well, when it comes to the truck series, we got a return and a good one, in my opinion. Jennifer Jo Cobb is going to return to the Crafts and Truck Series at Kansas Speedway. Cobb is a role model for women in motorsports, making her return to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at Kansas Speedway. 
Cobb is a racer, a published writer, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and an inaugural participant in the Bushlight Accelerate Her program. The Kansas City Kansas native holds several Craftsman Truck Series competition records, including the highest finishing female driver in overall season points, most starts by a female driver in the series as well. Akab has broken into the 200 mile or 200 plus mile per hour club with a land speed record and is one of just a handful of women with a top 10 finish at the highest level of NASCAR. Akab's last start in the Craftsman Truck Series goes back to 2022 at Talladega, where she unfortunately posted a DNF. Her career, career best finish did come at Daytona in 2011, where she finished sixth. Yeah, I know a lot of fans will be happy to see Jennifer Jo Cobb back in the truck series. We mentioned that you're going to hear this name a lot today, <laughs> and I, I think this might be the last time. Jesse Love is going to make his Kansas Speedway debut in the truck series this weekend. He's a two-time Arkham Art Series West champion, and he's going to be piloting the number one Tricon Garage Toyota this weekend to make his second career Crestman Craftsman Truck Series start at Kansas Speedway. Now, uh, Love made his debut at Gateway, subbing for Corey Heim, where he started 20th and finished 9th. At the age of 15, the Menlo Park, California native won three races and became the youngest title winner in NASCAR history. This season alone, Love has become an unstoppable force, winning nine Arkham Art Series races. So, uh, I think we're going to hear a lot more about Jesse Love, not just uh, this weekend, but I think for many years to come. You see, you stole my line, Sharon. I said it may be the last time in this preview show, but not on the, on the uh, for the year or into the years <laughs> and follow for sure. Okay, well now we got another driver. Yeah, we are. Uh, another driver change here to announce Carson Hosevar is going to drive the number 42 Legacy Motor Club Chevrolet in the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas Speedway and Bristol Motor Speedway. Last Friday, the Legacy Motor Club announced Truck Series playoff contender standout driver Carson Hosevar would be back behind the wheel of number 42 Sunseeker Resort Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 for the Cup Series in both the Kansas and Bristol races. The 20-year-old is currently ranked fourth in the Craftsman Truck Series championship point standings and has accumulated three wins, nine top fives, ten top tens, and a total laps led at 223 on the season. A host of our made his NASCAR Cup Series debut at Gateway, where he drove the number seven Spire Motorsport Chevrolet, and he began a good run, but unfortunately found himself involved in a crash and ended up not finishing. In just his second Cup Series start last weekend, Hosevar piloted the number 42 Sunseeker Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 to a 17th place finish, the second best finish of the season, and that came at Darlington. We know, track too tough to tame, and he at least uh, handled it. Okay, I know there's been some news about the number 42 at Legacy Motor Club, and uh, just a sneak preview of that uh, coming up on our 
uh, hot soundbox discussion. <clears throat> All right, the playoff round of eight, round of eight clinch scenarios at Kansas Speedway. There's four drivers that have already clinched a spot in the eight-driver field in the next round, and that includes Corey Heim, Christian Eckes, Grant Infinger, and Ty Majewski. Now, there's a few other drivers here that can uh, clinch via points. Uh, if there's a repeat winner or if there's a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, these drivers uh, can clinch on points as they are ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements hold true if the win comes from among any of those drivers. So let's uh, let's go ahead and cover them. Uh, Carson Hostify clinch regardless of uh, where he finishes. Zane Smith is going to need 27 points in order to clinch. Matt Crafton needs 47 points to clinch. And Nick Sanchez, he needs 53 points. If uh, Ben Rhodes is going to need 55 points, but if Nick Sanchez wins the race, he's going to need some extra help. And Matt DiBenedetto, uh, he's going to, he can only clinch if he gets help, and that's either somebody else has a bad day or he gets a win. Okay, now if there's a new winner from Ben Rhodes or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, these drivers can clinch by being ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. So Carson Hosefire, he just needs two points in order to clinch. Zane Smith needs 30 points, Matt Crafton 50 points, Nick Sanchez Ben Rhodes and Matt Benedetto, they can only clinch with help, meaning somebody else has to have a bad day or they need a win. Now, the drivers can clinch on a win alone, and that, of course, includes all of our uh, um, uh, playoff drivers that haven't already had a win. So Carson Hosefar, Shane Smith, Matt Crafton, Nick Sanchez, Ben Rhodes, and Matt Benedetto. Uh, now, the playoff continuous career performances at uh, Kansas Speedway. Uh, we'll take a look at that. The driver with the highest average rating. Actually, it's not the highest. Uh, let's start, though, with Corey Heim. He has a driver rating of 108.3. His average finish is at 14.0. He has no DNF from the season. Um, in three races, he has one top five and three top tens. Christian Eckes has seven races with one pole, three top fives, and five top tens. He does have one DNF. His average finish is at 10.0, but his driver rating is at 99.3. With a driver rating at 98.3 and the uh, close to the best, not quite the best, uh, his average finish is 6.2. He has 10 races with no poles but one win, six top fives, and eight top tens. Then Carson Hosevar is up next with four races. He's got one top five, one top ten, one DNF. He has an average finish of 17.8 at the track with a driver rating at 76.8. Zane Smith has the highest driver rating of these drivers. He has a driver rating at 
an average finish that is also the best at 5.9. He has seven races there with one win, three top fives, and six top tens. Matt Crafton has 26 races at Kansas Speedway with one pole, three wins, seven top fives, and 14 top tens. Three DNFs, but his average finish there is an 11.6 with a 92.6 driver rating. Nick Sanchez has the fewest races at Kansas with one, and that was a top 10 finish. His average finish is at 6.0, and he has a driver rating at 97.5. Ben Rhodes, 11 races at Kansas with Two top fives and five top tens, one DNF. His average finish there is 12.9 with a driver rating at 92.0. Matt Benedetto, three races with one top ten, one DNF, a 16.0 average finish and 71.7 driver rating. With a driver rating of 86.2, and an average finish at 15.2 is Ty Majeski. He has five races at the track with one top five, two top tens, and one DNF. So that gives you a preview of the playoff contenders going into Kansas this weekend. But uh, one of these drivers has uh, a last-chance race, or I should say two of these drivers are looking at a last-chance race, Jay. They really are, and they're going to have to dig deep uh, for Ben Rhodes and Matt Benedetto. After following the Clean Harbors 175 at the Milwaukee Mile, sport racing veteran Ben Rhodes and Rackley Wars Matt Benedetto, they find themselves below that NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series round of eight climb. The 2021 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion Ben Rhodes had a battle all afternoon at the Milwaukee Mile and finished 16th but left the 1.015 mile paved oval just three points back from that round of eight cut line. The 2023 season is the 26-year-old's sixth playoff appearance, and if he doesn't advance the round of eight this weekend, it'll be the first time in those six playoff appearances that he hasn't advanced out of the round of ten. Now the contenders uh, head to Kansas Speedway this weekend, where Rhodes previously finished 16th but led 17 laps in the race earlier this season. In his 11 starts at the 1.5-mile track, the Louisville, Kentucky native has put up two top five finishes, five top ten finishes, and a total of 59 laps led. His best finish in the Sunflower State, though, is a second, and that came back in the spring of 2019. Unlike the uh, vast playoff experience Rhodes has, Matt Benedetto is his first playoff appearance in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoffs. It's been 19 races since the Benedetto's last visit to Victory Lane, which came at Talladega in 2022. But the Grass Valley California native knows how to race his way into the top 10. He's recorded 10 top 10 finishes so far this season. Driver the number 24, Rackley War Chevrolet, had an unfortunate day there at the Milwaukee Mile, though, finishing 27th, and is now 20 points back from the round of eight cut line in the final transfer position. Now, currently, Rev Racing's rookie, Nick Sanchez, is in that eighth and final transfer spot 
to the next round in the playoffs on points. Just ahead of Sanchez in seventh is Thor Schwartz, driver and three-time Craftsman Truck Series champion Matt Crafton, who's up nine points on the round of eight cut line. So points could come into play, but uh, a win is a guarantee. <laughs> All right. Two races down in the uh, round of ten, and one more race to figure out who's going to advance into the round of eight. All right. For the second time this season, the Craftsman Truck Series is returning to Kansas Speedway, and this time it's to decide which eight postseason contenders will move on to that next round in the playoffs. So, uh, again, the race is tomorrow night at 9 p.m. It's located in the Booming Village West area near Kansas City, Kansas, and houses the 1.5-mile paved oval. Construction on that speedway began in 1999. County uh, holds the track. NASCAR and IndyCar announced that they would both bring a slate of events to the area for its inaugural racing season. It opened on June 2nd of 2001 and uh, held the Speedway's first races. The 1.5-mile track has hosted 26 Truck Series races inaugural race event. Inaugural race was on July 7th of 2001, and that race was driving the number 17 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. This weekend, Kansas will play host to the Round of Ten finale, where only four spots remain to advance into the Round of Eight. Notably, there have been 22 different winners at Kansas Speedway. The NASCAR Cup Series star Kyle Busch, along with Craftsman Truck Series playoff contender Matt Crafton, are tied for the series' most wins at Kansas in the Truck Series with three race wins apiece. Seven different drivers have won the elimination race in the first round of the Truck Series playoffs, including postseason contender Grant Dinfinger, who did it in 2016. In 2017, uh, the Parker Kligerman did it at Talladega. Uh, Grant Infinger's win came also at Talladega. Timothy Peters uh, raced his way into the postseason uh, at Talladega in 2018. In 19, it was Austin Hill who did it at Las Vegas. Raphael Lassard did it in 2020 at Talladega, Chandler Smith in 21 at Bristol, and in 22 it was John Hunter Nemechek. Friday night's Kansas Speedway playoff will be broken up into three stages. First, as uh, we've already mentioned, were 30 laps apiece. The last stage, 74 laps, ending on lap 134 after 201 miles. Practice and qualifying for the Kansas Lottery 200 will begin Friday, September 8th at 3.35 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, it's Ben Rhodes and Matt Benedetto below the cut line. Ben Rhodes is the closest. He's only three points down. Sanchez is vulnerable just being three points above so is Matt Crafton, actually. He's only nine points above that cut line. Smith uh, has a 29-point advantage. Carson a 56-point advantage. Um, they're still vulnerable if they have a bad day, but uh, 
we'll see what happens this weekend. Four drivers have clinched their spot with Grant Infinger, Ty Majeski on wins. Corey Hyman, Christian Eckes, they're in on points. And that's what makes it exciting, as we do still have some spots. You mentioned a three-point difference there. One of it involving a rookie and then a fairly solid veteran, if you will, of Ben Rhodes. So I think that one's an exciting uh, matchup there and just the difference in where they're at uh, career-wise. You're absolutely right. I can't wait to see what happens uh, at Kansas this weekend in the truck series. It's going to be exciting. All right. uh, Up next is our next car. Xfinity Series. They'll race the Kansas Lottery 300 Saturday, September 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. That will be televised on NBC with their pre-race coverage uh, also at 3 p.m. Radio coverage is available on MRN and Sirius XM Channel 90 NASCAR Radio. Uh, 300 miles will be the distance, 200 laps. Stage one and two are 45 laps apiece. Stage one, of course, ends on lap 45. Stage two on lap 90. The last stage is 110 laps, ending on lap 200. So I know we've got some news here in the Xfinity Series as well. Okay. Yep, the crossover, if you will. Uh, Raja Karuth is going to run at Kansas Speedway. In a truck series regular, Raja Karuth, he's once again going to be, be getting behind the wheel of the number 45 Alpha Prime Racing Chevrolet. That'll be a seventh Xfinity Series start for the 2023 season. This will be his second start in this series at Kansas Speedway. His debut last season, he posted a 25th place finish. In his six previous Xfinity Series starts on the season, he posted a best finish of 16th. And again, that comes at a tough track at Darlington Raceway. All right, looking forward to seeing him on track this weekend as well. Okay, we've got a Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. Uh, The class is wrapping up its first full regular season this weekend at Kansas Speedway, and two contenders will be heading to the playoffs in their debut season. That includes Chandler Smith and Sammy Smith. Chandler Smith continues to lead the pack, as he has all season long, with one win at Richmond. He's got five top fives and nine top tens and 706 points. Joe Gibbs Racing's Sammy Smith uh, still sits close behind. He's got one win at Phoenix, also four top fives and ten top tens at 629 points. Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker Retzlaff has posted one top five and six top tens this season. He's accumulated 483 points. And closing out the competition is Blaine Perkins. He's at 199 points. So uh, I hope uh, to see all those guys have a good race this weekend at Kansas. Well, some drivers are hoping to have more than one good race. As we look at a couple of double-duty drivers for Kansas Speedway, two drivers who have already secured their spot in the 2023 NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs, they're going to be sticking around Kansas Speedway on Sunday to run in the Hollywood Casino 400. That's Cole Custer and Sheldon Creed. Now, Custer will be getting behind the wheel at a number 51 Rick Ware Racing Ford for his fifth Cup Series start of the season. The 25-year-old driver has made six Cup Series starts at Kansas Speedway in his career, 
posting a best finish of seventh back in 2020. On the other side, though, Creed will be piloting the number 78 Live Fast Motorsport Chevrolet for his career debut in the NASCAR Cup Series. So good luck to uh, Sheldon Creed there. Okay, we've been talking about it. This is the season finale for the Xfinity Series. There's only two spots left for grabs in the Xfinity Series playoffs at Kansas, but 12 drivers will be trying to race their way in on Saturday. The 2021 Xfinity Series champion and colleague racing driver Daniel Hemrick has set himself up nicely to make his way into the postseason. Right now, he's uh, 55 points above the cut line, and he looks to secure a spot into the postseason for the sixth time in his career. Uh, he's also uh, been in in 2017, 18, 21, and 22. Hemrick has made six starts at the Kansas track, posting two top fives, three top tens, one pole, and he's led 143 laps there. The 32-year-old has come extremely close to finding victory lane at Kansas Speedway. He finished runner-up in 2018 and again in 2020. Stuart Haas Racing's Riley Herbst, who currently holds that last playoff spot on points, is also looking to lock himself in this weekend with a win. Herbst holds a slight edge, just a one-point advantage over Parker Kligerman, who sits in 17th the spot outside the playoff cut line. Herbst uh, has four starts at Kansas. He's posted one top 10 finish in 2020. Sitting in 14th in the playoff standings outlook and 75 points below the cut line is junior motorsports driver Brandon Jones, who could very well clinch his way into the playoffs with a win this weekend at Kansas, which would mark his seventh playoff appearance. He's won there. He's been in the playoffs in 16, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. He's done well at Kansas track, posting two wins in 19 and 20. He also has three top fives and five top tens. The remaining eight drivers that are below the postseason cut line will all have to win their way into the playoffs uh, this weekend. So uh, we're going to look at those clinch scenarios for the playoff drivers next. With that, real quick, uh, I gave a little preview for Hot Topics. There's another one wrapped up in that with the Driver Owner Championship. So hang around here for another 30-so minutes for Hot Topics. (laughs) But you mentioned the playoff clinch scenarios, and that's the time is up for these drivers still vying for that spot in the Xfinity Series playoffs. You mentioned the 10 drivers already clinched their way in leaving those two spots. So let's look at how that can play out. Uh, starting with the 10 drivers, though, that clinched their spot on the way in or into the 12-driver postseason field, you have Austin Hill, John Hunter Nemechek, Justin Algar, Cole Custer, Sam Mayer, Josh Berry, Sheldon Creed, Chandler Smith and Sammy Smith, as well as Jeb Burton. So if there is a repeat winner by a driver who cannot advance to the playoffs, Drivers would need to be ahead of the fifth winless driver in the standings. And the same would be true if a new win comes from among Josh Berry, Sheldon Creed, or Daniel Hemrick. And Daniel Hemrick would clinch regardless of uh, finish. Riley Herbst, though, at that bottom there we talked about, 
would need 54 points, where Parker Kligerman would need 55. Now, clinching on win, obviously, would be uh, Riley Herbst wins. Then to clinch on points, Daniel Hamrick would only need one point, whereas Parker Kligerman would need help, and I think that would be a lot of help as Herbst is the one right above him. Now, if the new winner is from Parker Kligerman or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the playoffs, that throws a huge monkey wrench into things. But Daniel Hemrick, again, would only or would clinch with only a one point uh, needed, but then Riley Herbst and Parker Kligerman would need help. And the following drivers, they would clinch on a win alone. You still have eligible Daniel Hemrick, Riley Herbst, Parker Kligerman, but also Brandon Jones, Brett Moffitt, Parker Retzlaff, Kaz Grala, Riley Sieg, Jeremy Clements, Anthony Alfredo, Josh Williams, and Joe Graff Jr. A win from any of them, and they're in. And like I said, that really throws a monkey wrench into things. And lastly, it has not been determined yet, but the regular season championship will be wrapped up this weekend, actually. Austin Hill, to clinch it, needs 38 points. John Hunter Nemechek and Justin Algar mathematically still have uh, the capability, but they're going to need some help, and that would start with Austin Hill, as that's who they're trying to catch there. That's so true, and it's going to be fun to see which one prevails. Okay, when you talk about Kansas, you got to talk about the Yellow Bricker Road all the way to Kansas Speedway. Uh, again, they're wrapping up the Xfinity Series is wrapping up their regular season this weekend at the Yellow Bricker Road uh, destination, Kansas Speedway. Uh, the, the Speedway is located outside of Kansas City, Kansas, and is a 1.5-mile track with variable banking in the turn, 17 to 20 degrees. In all, they've hosted 23 Xfinity Series races, giving us 18 different winners and 16 different pole winners. Only two races were won from the pole or the first starting spot. Most recently, Kyle Busch did it in 2016. Not only is Busch the last driver to win from the pole, he also holds the record for the most wins at four also has eight top fives. He's led 544 laps and is tied with Justin Algauer for the most top tens at 10. Two previous winners are entered this weekend in the Kansas Lottery 300. John Hunter Nemechek won there in 2018. Brandon Jones has two wins in 2019 and again in 2020. The track is equally special to both drivers as Kansas Speedway is the home of their first Xfinity Series wins. The Xfinity Series will have an action-packed Saturday kicking off with practice at 10.05 a.m., followed by qualifying at 10.35 a.m., and those are Eastern times. It will be televised on the USA Network, and the NBC Sports app will have live streaming, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. I can't wait to see where the yellow brick low road leads for these playoff contenders. Most certainly. And I know we're talking about 10 of the 12 being locked in. There's still one spot available. The regular season championship kind of locked in. But this race still, final uh, chance to get playoff points built up. 
as well as momentum and kind of they'll reseed, but you get that feeling of sorting themselves out of where they should be. And it's not a guarantee, but kind of where they're running going into the actual playoff run. So uh, I always like the cutoff race. I know this one may not hold the excitement that say Daytona does as a wild card, but there's still a lot to look forward to with the Kansas race for, here for the Xfinity series. Well, this is definitely a big weekend in racing for the NASCAR uh, top series. Uh, we talked about the elimination race for the truck series. We talked about ending the regular season for the Xfinity series. And now we're on to the Cup series. The Cup series is in the second leg of their round of 16. Uh, so they've, Darlington was their first race. Uh, this is the second race in that round, and next week will be their elimination race for the round of 16. But let's talk about the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway. This Sunday, September the 10th, starts at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. USA will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 80. Stage 2 is going to be 85 laps ending on lap 165. And then the final stage is going to be 102 laps ending on lap 267. What do we have here in the Cup Series, Jay? Well, at first, it's not just about racing. We, you mentioned a lot of things going on with the racing, but there's always other, always other activities and stuff going on. And the first one I want to talk about is the KC Pioneers eNASCAR. They're going to host a three-versus-three three Rocket League tournament at Kansas Speedway. And they're building on a partnership with the Kansas City Pioneers and eNASCAR. Kansas Speedway announced it today. It will host that three-versus-three Rocket League tournament presented by the Army National Guard, and that'll be on Sunday, September 10th. Now, the eSports tournament has a prize pool of $2,000 be held on the Kansas, in the Kansas Speedway Midway. Free to enter and open to all, although space is limited. The event begins at 10 a.m. and will conclude just before the green flag drops for the Hollywood Casino 400 at 2 p.m. Now, gamers can register. Uh, I don't have the link available but I've got the link link online I've got the link okay I've got the link it's uh www.start.gg slash tournament slash kansas dash speedway dash rocket dash league slash details (laughs) all right there you go again if you're a gamer and want to get involved on that three versus three rocket league tournament get signed up and that's a part of that NAS- eNASCAR's involvement. Uh, professional eNASCAR drivers Wyatt Tinsley and Derek Justice from the Kansas City Pioneers, uh, they'll also be in attendance. Both drivers currently compete in the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series, which is the sport's highest level of iRacing. The three-versus-three three Rocket League tournament presented by the Army National Guard comes in for the second year of an alliance created to introduce an entirely new demographic to the traditional powerhouse sport of NASCAR. And and I'll just mention, too, that they're also available on Discord. If anybody uh, wants to sign up and be a part of that group, uh, go to Discord and and look them up there. 
All right. Uh, other activity going on uh, this weekend prior to uh, Kansas Speedway's race, and that's tomorrow. Uh, Toyota's Invitational at Kansas Speedway's putting for Friday. Media is invited to play uh, the Kansas Speedway's new pit, putting pit stop miniature golf course and challenge their skills against Toyota Racing's NASCAR and Arkham Menard Series drivers in the inaugural Toyota Invitational. That's Friday, September the 8th at 10 a.m. Central Time at Kansas Speedway's putting pit stop in Cabo Wobble, in the Cabo Wobble Tequila Fan Walk. Now, several drivers will participate, including John Hunter Nemechek, NASCAR Xfinity Series, Connor Mosack, uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series and ARCA Series, uh, Tanner Gray, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, Taylor Gray, another Truck Series uh, driver, Tony Breidinger, Arkham and Art Series, Jesse Love, Arkham and Art Series, and NASCAR Truck Series driver. Um, now, uh, that's kind of cool. I don't know who the media people are going to be yet, but there will be several media people taking uh, part in that uh, activity as well. Yeah, that should be interesting. I know when they do these things, it's always a blast. And if you get the chance to be a part of it, um, the interaction is always great. Last last thing we got here for notes uh, before we get into the preview, NASCAR Cup Series milestones to watch yet for this season. As we look for the anticipated NASCAR Cup Series 2023 season coming to a close in these final nine races. Uh, start with some driver starts. Chase Briscoe, his 100th NASCAR Cup Series start will be at Kansas Speedway. Justin Haley as well with a 100 NASCAR Cup Series start. Coming up at Bristol Motor Speedway, Martin Truex Jr. will make his 650th NASCAR Cup Series start. Then as we get down into September 24th at Texas Motor Speedway, it'll be the 300th start for Ryan Blaney. Eric Jones would make his 250th NASCAR Cup Series start at Talladega Speedway in October as well as in October, Daniel Suarez, his 250th start would come at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, Ryan Priest at Martinsville would also make his 150th start. Ty Gibbs, already 50th start, would come at Martinsville Speedway. And when we look at Phoenix Raceway, there Denny Hamlin would be the one to hit 650 NASCAR Cup Series starts, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. would hit his 400. Now, car numbers uh, that would make milestones during this season yet. The number two car at Talladega Super Speedway would have 2,000 starts uh, in the Cup Series. The number 19 car at Talladega, that would be 1,600 start. The number 10 car also at Talladega would be 1,500. And then the number 99 car, that would be 1,200. 1,200 start at Phoenix Raceway. Other things to look at, wins, driver wins. Kyle Busch currently leads all active drivers in the career with 63, and that's followed by Kevin Harvick with 60, Denny Hamlin, 50, Brad Keselowski has 35, Martin Truex Jr. right behind him at 34, Joey Logano, 32, 
and then Kyle Larson at 22. Also closing in in NASCAR Cup Series win number 300, Hendrick Motorsports, currently sits at 298 team wins at NASCAR's highest level, which is the most all-time in the Cup Series. Just a note there to add to that, HMS has 347 wins across all national series, which is the second most all-time. And as an organization, Hendrick... I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, we still got a few more here. I think uh, the organization wins. Hendrick Motorsports, again, leads all active NASCAR Cup Series organizations with those 298. That's followed by Joe Gibbs Racing at 206. RFK Racing at 141, Team Penske 137, Richard Childress Racing at 116, the Wood Brothers uh, Racing still sitting at 99. They're trying to hit the 100 mark. Stuart Haas Racing has 69. Trackhouse Racing's already got five. 2311 Racing four in their young career. Brentwell Motorsports as well with four. JTG Daughtery Racing picked up their second this year while College Racing and Spire Motorsports each have one. You mentioned the Wood Brothers Racing. They're looking for their 100th NASCAR Cup Series win this weekend at Kansas. Manufacturer wins, closing in on the NASCAR Cup Series win number 850, as Chevrolet currently has 846 wins, most all-time in the Cup Series. Ford has second most wins all-time in the Cup Series at 712, and Toyota has the fifth most at 177. Uh, They're behind Dodge at 213 and Plymouth at 189. Let's see, car number wins. The number two, their next win will be its 100th in the NASCAR Cup Series. Number three gets a victory. It would be their that car number 100th win as well. And the 99 is looking for its 50th in the Cup Series. Under laps led. Whoop. Hold on, let me scroll back up. Sorry. Um, drivers that could possibly reach a milestone in laps led this season. Kyle Busch has led 19,141, so looking for that milestone of 20,000. And he needs 859 laps yet. Kevin Harvin looking to hit six, or 16,500. He needs to accumulate 476 more. Denny Hamlin's looking to hit 14,000 for his next milestone. Is 80 short right now. Martin Truex Jr. could hit 12,500 if he leads 375 more. Brad Keselowski looking to hit 9,500. Needs 334. Joey Logano is only 68 short of hitting 8,500. Kyle Larson needs 392 to hit 7,500. Chase Elliott, he would hit the 5,000 mark with 59 laps led yet. Ryan Blaney could easily hit 3,500 if he leads 11 more. William Byron, he's at the 25 or looking to hit the 2,500 mark, needs 18 laps led. Alex Bowman, uh, 212 to hit 1,500. Other ones looking to hit 1,500 are Ross Chastain and Eric Almarola. They need 251 and 429 respectively. And just looking to top out at a thousand, you got Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Eric Jones, Chris Buescher, 
A.J. Allmendinger and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And Bell needs 10 more laps. Reddick, 22. Jones, Eric Jones, 180. Chris Buescher, 418. A.J. Allmendinger, AJ 425. And Stenhouse at 453. And these are the ones that I listed there are all active drivers and have led at least 500 laps. All right. Uh, time is winding down very quickly, so we still have a ton of information to cover here. So we're going to have to go to the Reader's Digest version. Uh, Kansas Speedway has been a playoff uh, uh, staple in the NASCAR Cup Series since 2004 and has provided great side-by-side racing. Uh, so we'll definitely look forward to the race this Sunday. Groundbreaking at Kansas was held May 25th of 99. The official opening of the 1.5-mile paved four-turn track was in 2001, uh, with the first events actually being the Arkham Art Series race and the Arkham Art Series West race on the same day. That was June 2nd. The first Cup Series race at the Speedway was September 30th in 2001. That race was won by Hendrick Motorsports driver and Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon. For the most part, Kansas has remained unchanged since it was built, but it did undergo a repave during the 2012 season between April and October events, adding variable banking in the corners from to 17 to 20 degrees. In total, there have been 35 Cup Series races, one event from 2001 to 2010, and two races per year since 2011. 35 Cup races have produced 19 different winners in 18, or I'm sorry, 19 different polls winners and 18 different race winners. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the Cup Series in polls at Kansas with five polls <clears throat> and a total of nine of 19 Cup Series uh, poll winners are active this weekend, including Kevin Harvick with those five polls. There's Martin Truex Jr. and Joey Logano with two, and William Byron, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Ryan Brainy, Brad Keselowski, and A.J. Allmendinger all have one. <clears throat> of the 18 different Cup Series winners at Kansas, 11 have multiple races at the track, Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin leads in wins at Kansas with those four victories. A total of nine of the 18 Cup Series winners are active this weekend. In addition to Denny Hamlin's four wins, Joy Logano and Kevin Harvick each have three. Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. all have two. Bubba Walt, Kyle Larson, and Chase Elliott have one. Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin is the most recent winner at Kansas taking the series lead in wins at the track when he won there in May. Now, when we look at the playoff bubble, already we have some outside looking in after one race. There's just two races to go in this round of 16 for the NASCAR Cup Series playoff, but the tensions are rising as only one of the 16 drivers locked themselves in, and that's Kyle Larson moving on to the next round. Currently, Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron holds that top spot in the playoff standings after having picked up the regular season. He didn't win the regular season championship. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I see where I... Uh, Byron's in the top spot. He's ahead of the 2023 regular season Cup Series champion Martin Truex. 
Uh, he struggled at Darlington, but dropped into six point or six in the postseason points. Uh, Byron is 45 up on the round of 12 cut line, while Truex is 25 points above the cut line. Four drivers already now into that outside position of the 12 cut line, and they're chasing Joe Gibbs Racing Christopher Bell in 12th, the final transfer spot to the next round. Uh, 2311's Bubba Wallace is one point back. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick is two points back. JTG Daughtery's Racing's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is four points back. And then Front Row Motorsports' Michael McDowell is 19 points back. So, again, one race in it that's shuffled the points up a little bit. But of the four drivers below the round of 12 cut line, Michael McDowell from Front Row Motorsports has that biggest hill to climb with 19 points behind the 12th spot of Christopher Bell. Now, McDowell has made 24 series starts at Kansas. He's posted a best finish of 13th in 2021. Just above that, JTG Daugherty's Racing's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in 15th, but he's only four points behind Bell. Stenhouse has made 21 series starts at Kansas, but just one top 10 finish of eighth. The next two drivers, Wallace at minus one and Harvick at minus two, are former winners at Kansas. Bubba Wallace won the event last season, and veteran Kevin Harvick won at Kansas three times in 13, 16, and 18. We look at all the drivers real quick. Um, just give you the, I'm just going to give you their average finish and driver rating when it comes to Kansas. Uh, William Byron has 11 races, average finish of 14.0, driver rating 88.7. Kyle Larson, 17 starts, average finish 13.5 with a driver rating of 101.7. Tyler Reddick has eight starts, finishes 18.8, driver rating of 88.5. Chris Busher with 15 starts, Average finish right there about the same, 18.3. Driver rating, though, is 66.1. Danny Hamlin and Martin Truex, they each have 30 starts. Hamlin's average finish, 12.9, and the driver rating, 93.1. Truex's is 12.1, and then a rating of 101.1. Kyle Busch, uh, 31 starts, 16.2 and 91.9. Brad Keselowski with 27 starts, got a 12.4 average finish, rating of 90.1. Ryan Blaney, 17 starts, he's got a 16.4 average finish and 94.2 rating. Ross Chastain, on the other hand, only has nine starts, 18.8 and a 68.1. Joey Logano, 28 series starts, and he's an average of 16.7 finish, 87.6 on the driver rating. Chris Bell, this might be a Christopher Bell, the lowest, I think, seven starts. Their finish of 16.1 and 90.8 on the driver rating. Bubba Wallace with 11 starts, average finish 20.3 and a rating of 90, or I'm sorry, 72.3. Kevin Harvick at the top is a veteran, 35 starts, driver rating, or uh, average finish 9.9. And then the driver rating at the high point of 105.4. The final two, Stenhouse has 21 starts, as I mentioned, 19.7 and 70.5. Michael McDowell, 24 starts, 
Average finish 27.5 with a driver rating of 47.8. But as we look to this weekend at Kansas Speedway, half, uh, eight of the 16 drivers in the playoff field, former winners at the 1.5-mile track. Denny Hamlin has four. Joey Logano, three. Kevin Harvick, three. Martin Truex has a pair, as well as Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski. And then mentioned Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson each have one. All right, let's take a look at the uh, clinch scenarios at Kansas Speedway. Uh, Kyle Larson and the number five Hendrick Motorsports uh, team can sleep easy over these next two weeks after taking that win in the playoff uh, round of 16 opener at Darlington. Larson clinched his spot into the next uh, round. Only 11 of the 12 slots remain uh, for the Cup Series drivers in the playoff. Chances left to clinch a spot into the round of 12. Uh, So we've already mentioned uh, Kyle Larson clinching his spot with the win, but if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver that cannot advance to the next round, uh, these drivers are going to need 56 points above the 11th winless driver in the standings. The same will hold true if the win comes from among uh, the playoff contenders. Okay, Tyler Reddick, uh, Chris Buescher, Denny Hamlin, Martin Drex Jr., Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, Ross Gastain, Joey Logano all need help if they want to clinch in the race at Kansas, meaning somebody has to have a bad day or they need a win. If there's a new winner from among Christopher Bell or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, these drivers are going to clinch by needing 56 points above the 10th winless driver in the standings. Again, all of these drivers are going to need help. William Byron, Tyler Reddick, Chris Buescher, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, and Ross Chastain. Now, there are several drivers that can clinch with a win, and they include William Byron, Reddick, Busher, Hamlin, Turex Jr., Bush, Keselowski, Blaney, Ross Chastain, Joy Logano, Christopher Bell, Bubba Wallace, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse, and Michael McDowell. So, uh, Oh, that's a lot of drivers that are looking for one win at this racetrack, and uh, only one of them can win. Well, and just the fact that you, you listed they all need help when it comes to trying to clinch, that's how tight the points are. Mm-hmm. Now, Kansas Speedway marks the midway point here of the playoffs round of 16. And it was an eventful uh, opener at the historic Darlington Raceway, the 16 postseason contenders now focus on the 1.5-mile track in the round, which is Kansas Speedway, for the Hollywood Casino 400. Hendrick Motorsports' Kyle Larson, he was the first player to lock up his spot in the round of 12 with his victory last weekend. So we got 11 spots as the series heads to Kansas for the second of the three races in the round. Four drivers that will not move on to the round of 12, or there will be four drivers not moving on to the round of 12. And the contenders currently under that cut line we've talked about, Bubba Wallace, uh, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse, and Michael McDowell. With Christopher Bell in the 12th spot in the final transfer spot. So that's where the focus is kind of going to be. The 2023 season, though, marks the second time 
the NASCAR Cup Series playoff second race has been hosted by Kansas Speedway. The, uh, and they've done it since uh, 2002. It's the fourth different track in NASCAR Cup Series history to host that second race of the playoffs, joining Dover Motorsport or Dover Motor Speedway. Sorry, did it from 2004 to 2010. New Hampshire Motor Speedway did it from 2011 to 2017, and Richmond Raceway held it from 2018 to 2021. We've had a total of 14 different drivers that have won this second race of the playoffs, led by seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson with three wins, did it in 05, 09, and 10. Kyle Busch did it in 2017 and 18. Matt Kenseth in 13. Martin Truex in 19-21. And they each have two victories as well. When we look at that, I'm just going to go through some of the names here. I know we're coming up to the uh, top of the hour, but uh, Ryan Newman in 04. 05, it was Jimmy Johnson. Jeff Burton in 06. Carl Edwards in 07. Greg Biffle in 2008. Then Jimmy Johnson did it in 9 and 10. Tony Stewart was your victor in 2011. Denny Hamlin in 12. Then Kenseth in 13. Joey Logano in 14. Back to Kenseth in 15. Kevin Harvick was your 2016 winner of the second race. Then Kyle Busch did it in 17 and 18. Martin Truex in 2019. Brad Keselowski in 2020. Back to Martin Truex in 2021. And then last year, it was Bubba Wallace. Now, since the inception of the NASCAR Cup Series playoff in 2004, Kansas Speedway has participated in the postseason each year and moving to that second race last season marked the seventh different position on the playoffs schedule that the track is occupied. And from 2004, 5, 11, 13, and 14, Kansas Speedway was the fourth race in the playoffs. From 2006 to 10, they hosted the third race in the playoffs. Then from 15 and 15 and 16, they were the fifth race. In 2012, 17 and 18 and 19, they were the sixth race. In 2020, they hosted the seventh race. 2021, they've had the eighth race. And now since 2022, they've hosted the second one. A total of 14 different drivers have won Cup Series playoff races at Kansas Speedway. So, again, I'm just going to run through the names, and this goes from 2004 to 2022. Uh, we've seen John Hunter Nemechek, Mark Martin, Tony Stewart, Greg Biffle, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, Greg Biffle, and Jimmy Johnson again back-to-back, Matt Kenseth, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano did it a pair, then back to Kevin Harvick, uh, Martin Truex, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, and then the last three have been Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, and Bubba Wallace. Uh, Team Penske's Joey Logano leads the- Real quick. Real quick, Jay, just a correction. Yep. It wasn't John Hunter Nemechek, if you want to recheck uh, You're that. right. No, you're you're correct. That one, I, I was at the top of the list. You're right. I say, he's on my mind. We're getting close to a hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you are correct. That was Joe Nemechek. Uh, okay, Team Penske. Let's, uh, Joey Logano leads the Cup Series in playoff wins at Kansas Speedway with Three postseason victories in 14, 15, and 20. Multiple or four drivers have multiple playoff wins at Kansas with Tony Stewart, 
with a pair, Jimmy Johnson with a pair, as well as Greg Biffle. And then Kevin Harvick also has two, and Bubba Wallace being the most recent with his race win last year. Winning the second race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs has been a springboard for a few competitors throughout the year. When Dover Motor Speedway hosted the second race of the playoffs from 2004 to 10, twice the winning driver went on to win the series title that season, Jimmy Johnson, in 09 and 10. When New Hampshire Motor Speedway moved to the second race from 2011 and 17, one driver won the event and went on to win the title, and that was Tony Stewart in 2011. And Stewart won five races in that historic 2011 playoffs at the series record tied with Kyle Larson, who did it in 2021. None of the playoff race winners at Richmond Raceway went on to win the same season. Let's see, what else can we hit here? I know we're coming up on the time here, trying to look for some other highlights that we have um, listed. I will go throw this one out there, the worst finish in NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Kansas Speedway by a driver that went on to win the championship later that season was 17th. That was last season's champions, uh, Joey Logano. Worst finish by a driver in the second race uh, that went on to win the title at season at any of the tracks. Dover, it was Tony Stewart at 18th, the 2005 champion. And in er, New Hampshire, it was the 2015 champion, Kyle Busch. He finished 37th. Richmond Raceway, that was the 2018 14th place finish by Joey Logano. So the second race here still plays a key role for sure, no matter what track it's at. That's true. Okay, all the NASCAR Cup Series on-track activity at Kansas gets rolling with practice. Qualifying on Saturday, September the 9th from 12 to 2, and on the USA Network, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. It is the top of the hour, and that means it is time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. We have a couple of our members here. First off, uh, Brian Everly, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Well, we're glad to have you back. And Andy Lasky returning uh, back to the show again. Two in a row, Andy. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, always good to be on. No, always. All right, Andy, why don't you kick us off with the first hot topic here today? Yeah, news that was not uh, unexpected, but certainly fairly good, you know, sizable, silly season news in John Hunter Nemechek signing with the Legacy Motor Club for 2024 for the Cup Series. Okay, Brian, your thoughts about uh, John Hunter Nemechek going to Legacy Motorsports? Yeah, I think uh, we all agree. We talked about it on this show, I think, for, for a while, and it's been well-known for a while that that was probably going to happen. Um, I think it, it makes sense. It you know keeps John Hunter in the toilet fold where he's been here from KBM to JGR. He's obviously proved himself at the lower levels, um, and I don't think he you know got enough of a chance that first go-around at Cup to truly get comfortable. So it'll be interesting to see how he does in this. Second go-around also will be interesting just to see how Legacy performs. Obviously, switching manufacturers is a big deal. Um, that will put Eric Jones kind of back into the Toyota fold as well. So uh, kind of two a little bit longer Toyota drivers. Um, you know, obviously we're going to have Jimmy Johnson running some races. It'll be interesting to see how that team performs next year and with shutting down GMS. I've heard that 
um, several of the people from the truck team will be going over to the cup teams to kind of help out where they've maybe been lacking there a little bit as well. Some of that kind of to be determined, but I think that's really going to put them in a, in a better competitive cup spot than we've seen from that team this year. Obviously Gregson struggled. Um, hasn't been definitely the year that legacy wanted for sure. All right. Uh, Jay, your comments. Well, I know we always, uh, amongst the fan for racing crew here, blame each other for stealing our thoughts and thunder. And Brian's not a, been as regular this year, so we get to put that blame on him. He hit some key points already. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek kind of been attached to Toyota. So when they announced that they were switching from Chevrolet to Toyota, I think that it already started then. And he mentioned Eric Jones coming back to the Toyota fold as well. Uh, he's been out, out of the manufacturer uh, there for a little while, but coming back home, if you will. And I, I hate the position that it put uh, Noah Greg in. John Hunter Nemechek, his first stint in the Cup Series, uh, you know, wasn't um, ex- expected superior season, but he did okay. And Gregson was kind of in that same boat and now isn't going to be at least not uh, anything we've heard at this point. Hope that he rebounds like John Hunter Nemechek has. Uh, he went back to the truck series, obviously showed his talent as a driver, moved into the Xfinity series, and he has been uh, super solid there. So I think he's earned that. And I know I saw an interview with him where he talked about what his experience there in that first year um, at Front Row Motorsports was, and the fact it was kind of more on his his decision to go back to the truck series. Uh, we talk about it all the step up to the cup series is a huge one. Um, you know, and he said, you know, that maybe got him a little off guard, but I think he's in a much more solid position. I like the fact that, uh, Toyota has stood behind him and, you know, said, Hey, we want you up here. Like I said, it, when, when you good news, that puts uh, Gregson, unfortunately in the position outside, but I do look forward to what legacy motorsports can build with a new uh, partnership there with Toyota and moving in an upward trajectory, if you will, with the manufacturer, the drivers they got coming in. Eric Jones not coming in, but back to Toyota, we've seen what he can do. And just hopefully we see him continue to kind of build upward on that momentum. Okay. Hopefully the stars are all aligning for Legacy Motorsports. I think this is a great matchup between John Hunter Nemechek and Eric to mention the seven-time champion, uh, two seven-time champions with uh, uh, Richard Petty and Jimmy Johnson. Uh, so I think that uh, this is a good step in the right direction for the organization, and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the season plays out for them next season. Uh, now, I think the other question, and I don't know if we've hit on all of this, but uh, the next question is, uh, will Joe Gibbs Racing have a number 20 entry in the Xfinity Series next season, and who's going to fill that seat? Uh, so I can't wait to see what happens there as well. So, Ed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, not unexpected, obviously. You know, we've been talking about it, and uh, it finally came to fruition. I, I kind of look at this as a redemption move for John Hunter Nemechek, you know, made his way to the cup series a few years ago and then kind of had to go back and reinvent himself, right? 
um, spent some time at KBM winning races in the truck series, contending for championships, got an opportunity with Joe Gibbs racing this season and really has been the breakout driver in the Xfinity series this year with several wins, um, establishing himself possibly as the championship favorite as we head into the playoffs. Um, and really in my mind, you know, especially looking at Toyota specific drivers was the only real candidate um, to move up to the cup series for next year. So I think it's well-deserved. I think when you do what he's done this year in the Xfinity series, um, especially given what he's been able to do in the past, uh, it warranted a promotion to the cup series and certainly makes sense when you consider that he's a Toyota development driver and with legacy switch to Toyota, you know, it seemed like the right fit at the right time. Um, so not surprising in the very least. And, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how things go next year. Kind of have to look at it from the standpoint of it is a, going to be a bit of a rebuilding year for legacy in the sense that they're switching manufacturers um, from Chevy to Toyota. So there, it, it may take some time for them to get acclimated. So, probably wouldn't read too much into the results, at least to start next year. But I think that, you know, if they can get the right people in the right places and, and revamp that team from the way things have been this year, um, especially with Toyota support, they they can really be successful in the future. And, you know, I, I think that's what you'd have to expect out of them, especially long-term. So I think it's a good move and a good fit. And it, it keeps John Hunter in the Toyota fold and, um, you know, hopefully this time around he'll uh, have the success that he's looking for. Okay, Brian, you're up next. Yeah, I think we all kind of really hit on the good points there. Just kind of a, a funny Nemechek story that I got reminded of yesterday on my Facebook memories. It's been seven years yesterday since he had that fight with Cole Custer up at uh, up in Canada after that truck series race, and I remember that, and that was on my memories because two days later he came to Chicago to um, interview, uh, do some interviews and some media stuff for the upcoming Chicagoland race. And that was the first time any, he had talked to any media or anything like that after the fight. So probably the most, like, the awkward feeling thing going in and having to ask him about that, but pretty funny, and he was a good sport about it. So that popped up yesterday, and then it was kind of funny. Just probably 30 minutes later after seeing that, I got the notification that uh, Legacy made that news official. So, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, he's won, you know, three. it's crazy to believe it's been three years now since um, his – foray into the cup series but won seven truck races uh over the past two years and then five xfinity races this year obviously in the hunt probably one of the championship favorites for the xfinity series um really nowhere to go but cup i guess and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes but I'll, I'll be excited to watch that team next year i guess i was excited to watch that team this year with jimmy joining the fold and gregson being there and eric jones and obviously that didn't quite work out i think like anyone anticipated but excited to kind of see that reset and see what might happen next year with toda and some additional gms Okay, Jay. Well, I know we, one of the things that we've talked about is it's not really a surprise. There was a little bit of question for me anyway. I know we were waiting on Martin Truex, and he signed, or he only committed to one more year, and that's the kind of way he's been the last couple of years. And the fact that it's Eric Jones, Eric Jones is his teammate, we've seen this in the past. They want a driver under the actual four-car of Joe Gibbs Racing umbrella but they don't have the room right now as Denny Hamlin also just re-signed on a multi-year so could we see something like we saw with Eric Jones went over to Furniture Row um, for a year or two I don't remember if it was two years or not but then moved under the actual 
Joe Gibbs Racing Direct team, the four-car team they have, whether or not we see that with uh, John Hunter Nemechek. Because I really thought if Truex were to have stepped away this year, that that might be who they put in the 19 on that side of it. Um, and that could still, we'll go through this again next year. If not, then that leaves a seat open there in the Toyota uh, camp. And we don't necessarily feel they have another developmental driver, driver they've been that fully committed, but there are some coming. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes or is Legacy Motorsports Club only get them for a year or two. As you said, they're rebuilding um, that they may have to look again then to find another one. So it'll be interesting. Uh, and everybody kind of hit on it. They are going to be in that transition mode to Toyota. Toyota is looking to put a few more teams uh, as we've seen, they re-signed a 2311, so they got those six plus the two more now with Legacy Motor Club um, as they look to do that. Where they fall in that of rebuilding, I, I think they've been a fairly solid, uh, have that flashes of good runs, especially at a couple of tracks when it comes to Eric Jones, but now getting a little more level footing on their stability to be able to build where do we put the expectations? And we don't want to put them too high, but Sharon mentioned it. You got seven-time champions, Richard Petty Motor or Richard Petty involved, as well as Jimmy Johnson. Uh, you know they're going to push with it, and they know how to get it done. So I, I like to see that, and I have high hopes for them in the future. How quickly those goals are achieved, that we'll have to wait and see how long of a pro- progress it takes. And I think back to RFK. It took two three years so give them that time yeah i agree jay i think they're moving in the right direction uh and uh we haven't seen um a lot of progress uh with richard petty motorsports over the years uh more recent years i should say but i do think that these are all steps in the right direction and i think we are going to see uh, some movement within that organization uh, and an upward uh, spiral, if you will, uh, once they get going. But like you say, it doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take some time. Uh, and I just can't wait to watch to see how it all unfolds. Brian, um, Andy, you get to wrap it up. Yeah, and I think the key is, you know, to have realistic expectations for next year. I think anytime you make a big change, like a manufacturer change, you know, it, it, it'll take some time to get things moving. And, and, you know, we don't know yet if there will be any personnel changes or anything like that, especially with the switch to Toyota, if any Toyota people come over there and start working for Legacy Motor Club. So we'll see. But I think that, you know, anytime you have the influence, especially with somebody like Jimmy Johnson, who's used to having the success that he's had, um, you know, that, that team's poised to, to turn things around and get better. And I think that, you know, obviously, when you bring in somebody like John Hunter, who's done what he's been able to do, um, you know, it may not be next year, but I think, you know, if you can give him a chance and give him a couple, three years in that car, then, um, you know, they have the potential to really do some big things. So we'll see what happens. But I think that it's a, it seems like the right fit, you know, at the right time. And hopefully, you know, things will go the way that they're hoping. All right. All right, Brian, you are up next. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Oh, that's a great one. I don't think I was prepared to give the next topic. Uh, you know, how about well, let's, let's have Jay pick the next one? Give it some thoughts. I'm sorry. Let's have somebody else pick the next one. I'll give it some thoughts. 
Okay, Jay, that puts you up. Wow. So, yeah, he bounces the ball right over to me. <laughs> um, this is one kind of a – we've seen this um, – over the past couple of years, we hadn't seen it at the Cup Series uh, for quite a while, but it did happen the last two years. But in the Xfinity Series, Collard Racing is swapping their drivers. Uh, Daniel Hemrick is going to move from the 11 to the number 10. I believe by starting the race here in this final event, Daniel Hemrick will lock in as a driver. However, the 11 is not locked in because Collard Racing's uh, other team, the 10, which has had some Cup Series drivers make starts, is locked into the owner's championship. So Daniel Hamrick is going to move to the 10, will be a driver eligible, and then in the number 10, which will be in the owner's eligible championship. So they're trying to maximize it. I was curious what the fan or the crew here thinks about that. Okay, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I saw this news, I think, yesterday or today, whenever it came out, and it's... uh... An intriguing move, to say the least. You don't normally see these kinds of changes, um, you know, but it started to become more of a thing the last year or two. We saw this uh, last year, I think, at 23-11 racing in the playoffs when Kurt went out with the injury. They moved Bubba over to the 45 because it gave them the best chance um, to try to make a playoff run because that car was was, um, owner's championship eligible in the playoffs. Kind of a similar situation here, I suppose, um, you know, with Hemrick going to the 10. I don't know if it's a crew swap or not. It seems like it's probably just a number change on the side of the car, so really no changes there, you know, from a personnel or team standpoint as far as I know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess teams will do what it takes to try to position their respective car numbers, you know, in the, in the standings and the playoffs, and that's really what this is. And kind of a unique move. Again, not something we've seen a lot of recently, but, you know, seems to be becoming more of a thing, I guess. But, um, you know, I don't quite understand the the rationale behind it. I guess, you know, I'd have to look at a, at a decent explanation of why they're doing it. But, um, yeah, I mean, whatever it takes, I guess, to, to try to position your teams as best as possible going into the playoffs, then, then uh, I guess, it, you know, from that standpoint, it makes sense. Okay, Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think from a, a team standpoint, it makes sense. I think just kind of from a, a fan standpoint, obviously it gets a little bit confusing, but I think, you know, from a fan standpoint, no one no one really cares about the owner's championship. Obviously the drivers and the teams and the, the owners do. Um, that's how a lot of the money's distributed. But I think, you know, um, you know, I assume they're probably swapping all the personnel as well. Hemmerich will have the same crews and stuff like that as well. I, I didn't see the detail on that. I just saw their uh, little tweet yesterday afternoon or whatever it was. So, I think, yeah, it's a good move. Obviously, you want to do what's best for the team and um, go from there. Okay. Yeah, it it is interesting that uh, they're doing this. I got to wonder, colleague is fifth with the number 10 in the owner's point standings um, after the last race. Uh, Hemrick is eighth in the uh, points for the um, driver points. So it just seems uh, I understand why they're doing it, I guess. Uh, They want to kind of move up. Uh, The owner's points race is, um, I don't know, they're – I really don't understand it. When I look at the owner points after Darlington, uh, Colleague Racing is actually fifth 
and they're 145 points out. So they're they're really looking to make up a whole lot of points there. Um, we are seeing this happen a little bit more often, but I gotta wonder how long is NASCAR going to uh, allow it to happen? I, I guess it's okay if they want to do that, but I'm like Andy; it's kind of a head scratcher to me uh, why they would do it uh, because 145 points is going to be a lot of points to make up over the next uh, 11 races here for the Xfinity Series. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Jay? Well, uh, I fully understand it. I think we all agree. We understand. They're trying to maximize it. They have a shot at both championships, the driver championship and the owner's championship. My question was, why do it in this race before the playoff starts? If the 11 were to win this weekend at Kansas, that team would also then move into the owner's championship and bump somebody else out. Why would you not give Daniel Hemrick and that team that's been together all year, that opportunity. If they don't win the race and you're in this position, I understand starting it after the playoffs begin, which is what happened uh, last year with um, 23, 11 racing. It was after the season had, or the playoffs had begun. Bubba Wallace wasn't in the playoffs and thus they moved him over to the 45 to work on that owner's championship. Um, so that's why, to me, it's a little early. I would have at least given the 11 team as the package they've been all year to have their last shot at it. If it don't happen and the playoffs start following um, Kansas, then you make that move, give Daniel Hemrick, who, and not to downplay anybody else, but the, the ele- or that driver – then put him in the number 10 that has been a, the more solid, obviously, as far as the uh, drivers, that, because, again, we've had some cup drivers who can't enter these final races. I would have done it after the, the playoffs of both sides are locked in. I just I feel like they took away from the chance for the 11 team to entirely race their way in and get that victory this weekend. Uh, following that, I understand. And I do, Sharon, I'll, do, I'll hit this on the second round, but I do have some questions about, um, it's manipulating the system, as you said, and if NASCAR will continue to allow it, but I'll hit that on my second round. Okay. Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, I was just reading more about this, and um, basically it just says that, you know, since Daniel's locked into the, the driver's playoffs and the 10's locked into the owner's playoffs, it seems like they just want to, match those two up, I guess, is the easiest description. That way the driver of the car number 10 will be in the the playoffs as well as the car number 10 itself. So that's the easiest way to describe that, I guess. Um, I completely agree and understand with what Jay is saying. You know, why not wait and see if Hemrick could win this weekend with the 11 car number? You know, that way they would lock that team in as well. Um, So it is interesting that it's being done a week before the playoffs start. Um, but having reread through the, the reasoning for it, I guess I can understand it now. Um, the, from what I'm getting, it's not, a, it's not a full team swap. It's just a car number swap. I'm actually digging through crew rosters right now to see if that's actually true or not. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can, I can see why now that would do it. It basically just means that 
the driver and the car number are both playoff eligible um, instead of, you know, instead of it being a situation where, you know, you've got a, the, the 10 car vying for the owner's playoffs with multiple drivers and then having Hemrick locked into the driver's playoff, but his car number not being locked in, it could get a little confusing in that case. So I can kind of see why they just basically just streamlined it to where both the car number and the driver are both in the playoffs and that's the end of it. So um, making a little more sense to me now, I guess. Um, curious. To, I'm, I'm still digging into it. Curious to see, you know, if it's just a number swap or what. But um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting what these teams will do to to do what's best to make a deep playoff run, and, and hopefully this is uh, a decision that pays off for them. Okay, Brian, your follow up. You know, I think kind of as Jay mentioned earlier, I don't think I have anything. I think we've covered it, uh, hit all the points, so nothing further for me. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess I see the reasoning behind why they did it. I just don't know that it's it's going to work. <laughs> if, if the, yeah, they want to go for the championship in both of those categories. Um, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, getting to the race manipulation, or not race manipulation, but just manipulating the teams in order to give themselves the best chances in these circumstances. I I, I got to wonder how long NASCAR is going to see that as an appropriate thing to do. Um, I, I think mixing up these teams uh, when they're headed into a playoffs or in the playoffs uh, makes it a little adjustment and I think Christopher Bell is a good example of that that gives uh, crew and he's supposed to go out there and contend for a championship and he had nothing but trouble uh, this weekend on pit road so it takes it takes time to adjust to those things uh, those kind of changes and it, I don't always think it's the best thing to do to help a team uh, do better why not leave them with their teams and let them compete the entire year. Plus, I think it's unfair to the team that's got the, that uh, team to the place that they are uh, throughout the regular season. Now you're going to uh, take them out of the equation and <laughs> switch up the whole thing? I don't know. I just don't think it's uh, the right thing to do. Jay? Well, I do from the standpoint of, again, you're trying to put the best forward. Uh, you talked about the crew with Christopher Bell. He's in the playoffs. Joe Gibbs, or, uh, Ty Gibbs' uh, crew has been the best pit crew all year. And I understand when you look at it as far as a team, there may be some hurt feelings. But that's one of those of you're part of not just that particular race team. You're part of the Joe Gibbs Racing Organization. Uh, here we're talking about college racing. What is best for the entire organization, which long-term will also benefit your team when it comes down to it of – the bonus earned for the owner's championship and the, and the driver championship. I understand there could be some hiccups then, because like you said, of, you know, a team that says, Hey, we've worked to get to this point all year and we just lost our driver, you know, um, that there can be some issues, but I think they're all professional and, and mature enough to handle that. Uh, whether or not NASCAR should allow it, that's a, that's a tricky one because the number 10 team has been on the track all year throughout a multitude of drivers. It's given some young drivers some opportunities. They brought in some veterans, which has got them in the position they're in. And that's really been, I think, the, what, the better 
team, if you will. It's tough to say if it was based on some of the cup drivers coming in or not. But as a whole, that team seems to have run better, which is why they're in the owner's championship, even though um, they weren't eligible for the driver because of the rotation. So there again, you're maximizing it by putting Daniel Hamrick, or Daniel, Daniel Hamrick, let me slow my mouth down, um, into that car, trying to match up the best car, best driver they got, and maximize both. I, I fully understand and support it from the organization. And again, they are doing what is legal within the rule books um, that are set forth. I don't know that they necessarily, again, at the Cup Series for sure, we hadn't seen that, I think, since going back to Mark Martin uh, when he drove for several different teams where you even had that possibility of an owner championship or a team being there with multiple drivers being in the owner's championship. The way it came about in 2311 was due to the injury due to Kurt Busch. Uh, That's why that one came about, and the same this year with Chase Elliott. The Bob Wallace made it as a driver, but that team is not. Bob Wallace is as the driver. The team is not. Chase Elliott's team, based on a performance, was outperformed them, but the driver change was multiple drivers, so it's the car and not the driver. Um, That's generally when we see it is when it comes to an injury. But in the Xfinity series, we see this actually quite a bit um, where you have that. So I think they're okay with it. I know it gets confusing to fans, but obviously to the teams, the manufacturers, it's still an important thing, and that's why we're seeing this move. Before we move on, and Brian, you might be wanting to think about what your hot topic is going to be. I just want to make an announcement that – Oh, wait a second. We're on the podcast. I don't have to do that. But I do want to just say that uh, we are uh, – I am I have very much mixed feelings on this topic because I, I can see both sides of it very clearly. I understand why they're doing it, uh, and I get all of that. I, I just uh, – and I don't – on the other side of that, I don't necessarily want NASCAR to be involved with coming up with another rule, if you will. But um, uh, I, I just, I just uh, have very mixed feelings on it. So, Brian, do you have your next hot topic ready? I do. I'm, re- I'm ready this time. I did my homework. And kind of along the lines of rules, I guess we can talk about uh, that rule change announced, um, I believe it was earlier this week, um, with the Xfinity Series. Um, ejecting a crew member after two tech failures instead of three. Um, I guess previously they were giving them three and a little bit more leeway than the Cup Series because all of those teams don't necessarily have the technology at their shop to be as precise as the Cup teams. I think I uh, made this clear before. I just hate mid-season rule changes, especially for something that just seems sillier like that. If it's a safety issue and you got to change it mid-season, perfect, fine, makes sense. I just don't. I just don't like mid-season rule changes. I feel like. NASCAR Motorsports to be one of the only sports where you see that, but that's kind of my take on it. Curious to see on what you guys all think. Okay, Andy, let's go ahead and start with you again. Well, so just real quick to cap off the previous subject, I did look at the crew rosters, and it looks like it's it's Daniel Hemrick actually switching completely over to the 10 car, which I find surprising. So um, I'll just leave it at that, but I – definitely kind of an interesting development there um, that he's completely switching to the 10 car. Um, anyway, as far as this subject at hand, which is, I believe, 
um, the ejection of a crew member after a second failed attempt instead of the third failed attempt. I, I hate to say it, but it's probably time that they crack down a bit. Um, there's been a, a rash of inspection failures in the last few weeks with the Xfinity series. And, you know, we always talk about, or at least I do anyway, about how you hate to see penalties and you hate to see these infractions. you got to make it get to a point where the teams stop doing it, stop pushing the limits. These teams all know what the rules are. They know they have the rule book, which should be black and white. So, you know, if they're going to constantly push the limit and test NASCAR's patience and test NASCAR's rules, then you gotta you got to make it severe enough that deters them from doing it. We've said this, you know, with the Cup Series. We've said this with, with other severe penalties that have happened. you, you got to make it to where these teams stop doing this. And, you know, I think Daytona, for example, there was like four or five cars that couldn't get through on at least three attempts and had to make pass-through penalties. And it's just, you know, it's getting to the point where, you know, maybe they do need to make it a little bit stricter. So I – 100% side with NASCAR in this one. Um, and just kind of reading through this, it says, just looking at um, the uh, the actual rule change, it says, starting at Bristol, officials plan to penalize teams that fail pre-race inspection two times by ejecting a crew member. Previously, that threshold for an injection was uh, three inspection failures. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree with this. Make it a little bit tougher. Make these teams work well within the rules, and then we won't see these penalties and infractions, you know, be as big of a deal as they have been. So I think it's the right thing to do, and, um, you know, hopefully this, you know, makes these teams stop pushing the envelope so much. Jay? Well, I got a lot here. I'm trying to – I was just trying to get it all straight in my head. First, I'll start with, with what Brian said of the in-season change. And, and you're right, I'm kind of on that line of that of making a change during a season. However, we are kind of transitioning because you're going from the regular season to the playoffs. So there, it is kind of a break, not that it's not part of the year-long season, but there is a little bit of a break because we're separating the championship contenders in the playoffs and it's that affecting them now, although it still affects the other teams there is that kind of change over break. Be like, hey, we're even more serious now because we want to focus on having a pure champion, if you will. Um, so I'm not as opposed to it as I would be any other rule, aside from, like Brian said, with safety. Uh, then I wanted to tie Mike. I was kind of hoping Mike would have the opportunity. I know he got called <laughs> in last night, and so he couldn't be here today. But to hear his take on this. But I know Andy chats with him quite a bit, and he kind of hit on some things of, Okay, you're going to crack down. Got it. We had that rash. And especially at Daytona, they could do it and get away with it because the pass-through penalty really wasn't a penalty because it's a super speedway. There were three or four of them. They can all come in together on their free pass lap, come back out together, draft together, didn't lose a lap, and so they got it back at the next caution or whatever. Um, This one, too. Okay, if you're penalizing a dollar and you say, okay, now it's going to be $2, what does that mean? And we've talked about it with the crew chief even. Does, is this really a penalty to them? You're ejecting a crew member after they're at the track, the engineer, car engineer. At that point, his job is realistically done. Even so, you kick him out, he goes home, he gets on the phone or on the computer or whatever else they got, he's still talking to the team anyway. Hey, I did this to the car. or You, know, you need to make this adjustment because of what I set up in it. 
if it was a, an engineer or something. To me, this isn't even really a penalty. They upped it, but it's still not really a penalty to me. Uh, you know, Andy said it, though. You've got to make it impactful. And I just is ejecting a crew member or the crew chief at the track is uh, a penalty. Um, now, the, if they hit the pass-through penalty, depending on the track, depending on whether or not they get a caution, that one at least could have some bite. Um, but the, just the, the ejecting the crew member, I like the fact that NASCAR is saying, hey, we want you to stop. We're going to start ramping it up. I just don't think they ramped it up enough. <laughs> well, okay. I've got a couple of thoughts here as well. Um, and I agree with uh, everything that all of you guys have said. Uh, the only thing I'm going to add is that I really think that this change is all about saving time at the track because the, they've had more than the usual number of people that aren't passing the inspections. Uh, they've got to streamline that process. Um, and, and because so many people are not coming to the car with a legal car, I think that's a problem. Uh, I, I do think that NASCAR needs to get over the off season. I agree with Brian. I don't like seeing a lot of changes in, in, during the season, but during the off season, NASCAR really needs to look at their penalty structure because I do think there are some problems. It starts with the one with Ty Majeski. That was more or less a slap on the hand um, for somebody who won that race. He still keeps, he still keeps the win. He still gets to advance to the next um, uh, round. And the 75 points means nothing to him as far as uh, his road to becoming a champion. Uh, and you guys all know how I feel about people who get penalized for not having legal cars or doing things the right way, uh, becoming a champion in this sport. I think it, it diminishes uh, what NASCAR is trying to accomplish, and that's recognizing the best driver uh, for winning. Uh, and that doesn't mean uh, winning with an illegal car. <laughs> um, I, I really think that the only reason the, the, the blame here lies with the teams. They're bringing illegal cars to the track. They're not getting it fixed at the track, and they have to go through the inspection process more than once. So NASCAR has to save some time, so they've got to put this change into place. Um, and it's unfortunate, but overall, I, I do think that ejecting a member of the team from the track does absolutely nothing. I think it's time for NASCAR to really consider, not this year, but next year, I hope that they really consider if somebody comes to the track with an illegal car, um, maybe, maybe you give them the first chance. Uh, the second chance, but the, the, if they do it three times, they're no longer in the race. Eject them from the race, the whole team, not just the <laughs> crew chief. I think the whole team gets ejected, and they cannot race that race. It makes it harder for them to become a champion, and I just think NASCAR needs to get very tough on these things. I'm not talking about ejecting them on the first uh, uh, go-around, uh, but if it gets to be so many people that are doing it and they have to find a way to uh, save time, 
then they have to do something like this. You get two inspections. If you can't pass two inspections, then we're going to eject you from the race, period. I'm all for stricter policies on this, especially when you've got so many people doing it. The objective for and that isn't the case. We're getting more. Brian, are you still with us? Oh, yes, I cut out from you there a second. I heard you say stricter penalties, and then it, and then it went away. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, oh. I kind of agree with that. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, we continually see this. I feel like every race is, you know, somebody failed tech multiple times again and again and again, and maybe that's the way you go about cleaning it up. Uh, I don't think it'll sit very well with anyone, though, if, you know, Chase Elliott fails tech three times and doesn't run at, you know, Atlanta Motor Speedway and it's – home track, um, so I don't know that NASCAR will ever go that strict. I personally would be fine with that. I just don't think we'll actually actually see that take place. But I do agree with just, you know, cleaning some of the stuff up a little bit and also, you know, just evaluating kind of what the meaning of those penalties is. I agree the penalty but Jeske was, you know, honestly meaningless in the grand scheme of things, um, other than, you know, just a little bit of bad press for them. But I do think they need to kind of think about that a little bit more and determine what the penalty is actually deterring. Is it doing anything? Because ejecting these crew members and crew chiefs and stuff really does absolutely nothing. I don't think it has really much of any effect on the team. You've made a great point. You know, everything's pretty much done and ready to go at that point. There's enough electronic technology these days that if a crew chief gets ejected, you can guarantee he's still in well contact with the team. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for what you guys said. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of follow-up, but aside from just, you know, I I think that they need to get these penalties strict enough that it just deters these teams from, from pushing the limits, like I said the first time through. Um, ejecting a crew member, yeah, it probably doesn't really do much if you're a, if you're a top-tier team that has depth in the organization and, and constant communication with the crew chief, wherever he is, outside the racetrack, inside the team hall, or I don't, I don't even know um, where they go. But obviously, they're they're all still going to be in communication if it's a bigger team. I think this probably has a bigger impact on a smaller organization that may not have those same means that a bigger team does. But nonetheless, it's not a big penalty. I agree with all of you on that. So, so where do we go from here? I think Sharon brings up a good point. You know, maybe you start DQing people from playoff eligibility or maybe you tell them you can't run a race and I think you got to make it so that you get their attention to stop pushing the limits now that has been, kind of been the backbone of NASCAR racing since the beginning of time is people pushing the limits and and in you can call it ingenuity you can call it cheating call it what it is call it whatever you want but it's kind of been the way it's always been and probably the way it will always be but you know every single year it seems like these storylines become front and center, you know, and I, I for one don't care for it. You know, I like, I'd rather the focus be on the racing, not about cheating and penalties. So it would be nice to, it would just be nice to see, you know, the rules be strict enough that it deters these penalties and and these types of things from happening. So it doesn't seem like we're fully there yet, but hopefully NASCAR will make it so that this isn't a thing, you know, as much as we have seen recently. Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, again, I got a lot of thoughts running through my head trying to sort through them all, but (laughs) 
Um, it's been a while since we've talked to, uh, talked about the Jay Hoosman Cup. Sharon, you're going to be my competition director and, and bring in somebody <laughs> like, uh, I think his name's Ricky Brooks. Um, yeah, when it comes to the uh, Yeah, there you go. Don't play around. I mean, uh, that's what it's got to come down to. Uh, and we saw it even at the cup level. I, I had in my mind a, uh, a dirt track situation. Scott Bloomquist, one of the top dirt late model drivers, didn't make the call, wasn't on the track when he was supposed to be. He didn't race. We saw it this year, and it kind of a little bit surprised me when it comes to Chase Elliott's suspension. Um, you know, most popular driver. Brian said it. He's okay if at Atlanta, even his home track, if he doesn't race for whatever reason. And this goes back to my my thing with the charter teams and being guaranteed a spot in the race and people not being able to race their way in. If your top driver isn't fast enough, isn't legal, they don't race that week, the sport will survive and, in my opinion, be the better for it. So, yeah, if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do. Now, I will say this in reading this and understanding it, I do appreciate the the fact that NASCAR was looking at with the Xfinity series and some lower budget teams may not have the same technology and whatever in their shots to fully precision uh, get the precision right. Uh, I understand that, and I appreciate the fact that they were trying to help when it comes to that by saying, hey, we'll give you a little bit more leeway to get it right at the track um, if you don't have that. But that doesn't mean that you can take advantage of it. And actually going back to, I think it was, again, I'll go back to Daytona, I think it was several of the top teams because off the top of my head, I know that Justin Algar from Junior Motorsports was one of them. They have the resources. They know the rules. They've been running for a while. That's one where then it's okay. You're trying to take advantage of something. NASCAR tried to help out the little guy, and the big teams are taking advantage of it, which if you have a rule, it's got to apply to everybody. I got it. But then that maybe means you need to take the rule away and not give it to anybody. Yeah, uh, again, I've got a lot of thoughts going through my head, too, Jay. Uh, I just want to say that uh, I thought we were changing culture within NASCAR. Yeah, it's an age-old uh, thing with NASCAR. If you ain't cheating, you're not trying. But NASCAR said they wanted to change that way of thinking. <laughs> and uh, I think they have to back up that statement uh, with a penalty structure that actually is a penalty. Uh, so they're not going to change the culture if they open the door for meaningless penalties. In fact, it'll become a, a joke. It's a joke. Uh, and I don't think NASCAR wants to be the joke. So they, they really have to tighten this up if they're serious about changing the culture within NASCAR. Cheating should not be the, a culture within a competitive sport. So I, I do think that tougher with their rulings, they have to put penalties out there that mean something to these teams to the point that they don't want to take that chance. Um, and, and maybe it is. If you're a playoff-eligible driver and you bring an illegal car to the track, maybe you're no longer playoff-eligible. If you've been, if you go through inspection, you know, three times and you can't get a legal car, then maybe you're no longer playoff eligible. Um, and and if you're a non-playoff team, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's uh, less 
severe. But I think for playoff teams in particular, for those playoff teams that are competing for a championship, we cannot be crowning a champion that has cheated their way to that title. And I think NASCAR has to get serious uh, with that with that change of culture that they said that they they want to implement. And they have to do it with stiffer penalties. Brian? You guys, um, you guys have really hit the nails on the head today. I feel like everyone's been covering all the points really, really well, but it's time we get back around on the second time. So I don't have anything further to add here. Okay, that's fine. Uh, let's see, we have a few minutes here. Does anybody have a quick one that we can hit? Oh, okay. Sharon, I just uh, uh, Sharon, Sharon, I just put just it up. Gonna... Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I just got it up on the uh, on the message board, but I think everybody heard it as part of the John Hunter Nemechek uh, announcement for Legacy Motor Club. Jimmy Johnson is not going to run any more races for 2023. I think it said there he had three other races in. He was originally expected to run five to seven, but he's working on plans for 2024. He will still uh, make a few attempts. Okay, Brian, you want to comment on this? Yeah, I think um, maybe a little bit surprising, but also obviously he had the very, very um, significant family tragedy and maybe just decided it was time to take some time away for the rest of the year and kind of reset for next year. Um, That's my guess, obviously. Um, I think that's the right call, obviously. Uh, Glad to see he'll still be a part of the team and and race a little bit next year. You know, maybe a little bit concerned that that wouldn't happen given the transition from Chevrolet to Toyota and his deep, deep ties with Chevrolet throughout his career, but I think him being a part of that team and also being able to get in those cars um, can really help, you know, Jones is almost a a veteran at this point, but, you know, Jones as well as Nemechek develop, but I think that could be really, really huge for those teams, especially with his limited experience in the next-gen car. So I I think that'll be great. He'll still make starts next year, and I think I completely understand why, um, why he's not this year. Okay, Andy? To me, this makes sense um, just from – getting prepared for next year standpoint, um, you know, with the switch to Toyota, it probably makes more sense to, you know, focus resources and preparation on 2024, especially with only nine weeks remaining in the season. So um, can kind of see why they're doing this. And, you know, if they can focus their time and efforts on next year versus this year, it's probably for the best. So um, to me, it seems completely understandable. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to Jimmy getting out there again next year. Okay, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Jimmy's got his hands full. Uh, He's switching to manufacturer. He's got uh, one team member leaving, another new team member coming in. Um, There's a lot on his plate right now, and it makes sense that uh, he would not be running any more races this season. Uh, And it does make sense that he would put together a schedule uh, that can help the team for next season. Uh, with the change in manufacturers, as Andy brought up, so I'm I uh, I think it's a smart decision, and uh, we'll go with that, Jay. Well, Sharon, on the last one, I was going to say I was nice and even left you your thunder when it came to the changing the culture aspect to the rule thing. Um, <laughs> this one, you guys have kind of hit on it, but I think I can add something to it. First off, again, of don't know what the sponsorship deal was. 
it got mentioned that, that Jimmy Johnson has had some personal things. I know you're looking at, as part of the ownership, he's got to look at that changeover to the manufacturer and setting up for next year. So, yeah, maybe take off of his plate and let him focus on that. Um, one of the aspects that I don't think got mentioned, though, is not only looking forward to next year, this year, with leaving a manufacturer, in this case Chevrolet, uh, it gets talked about of it's not that they won't give you a car, a Chevrolet car to run, but your notes or uh, information you get is certainly going to be a lot more limited as you've announced you're moving to a different manufacturer for the next year. So there's certain aspects that they just aren't going to get from Chevrolet this year anyway. With that, running a partial schedule next year. First off, appreciate the fact that we get to still see him run. If that's what he chooses to do, they can get it uh, packaged together, sponsorship and whatever else. The impact it can have, especially with, and John Hunter Nemechek is not a rookie, but has limited cup experience. A champion like Jimmy Johnson who can get in the car and be active in it and then help a young driver like John Hunter Nemechek. And Eric Jones is still a young driver as well. Um, I think is an important role that he can do as well as, again, I mean, we all want to see uh, Jimmy Johnson run when he can. Uh, and again, appreciate just the fact that he does when he can. Um, so, but I think there's some things within the team dynamic that, that can be a huge benefit to, as we mentioned, they're going to be switching manufacturer, kind of a rebuilding that I think will help speed that process along hopefully uh, when it comes to that. But I think the fact that, you know, they're, they're leaving a manufacturer and that what they're getting in resources may not be as full as it was that that might have possibly led into this uh, not getting in all the races he originally had scheduled this year. Good point, Jay. Uh, Brian, your follow-up? Yeah, I think those are also great points, you know, when you think about it. Not that it's a, a lame duck season, but at this point it, it kind of is, right? You're not getting probably the data you used to get from Chevrolet. Neither of your teams are in the playoffs, and I think their focus obviously has shifted as it, as it should at this point. 2024, getting Nima check in there, getting everything set up, getting ready for a Toyota. So I do think that's a, a great place to put the focus as well. And there's no need for Jimmy to get in and run that third car at any races um, going forward this year. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Are you still with us, Andy? Yeah, sorry, trying to get the old mute button off there. Um, no, I don't really have any follow-up, honestly. I'm all set. Okay. Yeah, I don't really – oh, uh, Jay, you get the last word here. <laughs> I don't have any follow-up. Yeah, here. my last word – yeah, no, my last word's there, too. Of, yeah, there's really not a whole, much, a whole lot more to say. Um, just looking forward to all the things that we could and will see down the road next year and beyond for the Legacy Motor Club and that – uh organization oh there was one bad thing i don't know if anybody else caught this and i think it was mentioned on race hub john hunter nemechek i mean i messed this up earlier so i'll get it right john hunter nemechek going to legacy motor club is in the number 42 which joe nemechek his dad ran back in the day i thought that was kind of cool and i hadn't realized yeah good little tidbit there okay let's go ahead and do our round table now and andy we'll start with you all right, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, as always, good to be on the show. Uh, Monday's a work day, so that's to be determined. Hopefully, I can be on Monday, and uh, certainly looking forward to uh, racing at Kansas this weekend. 
Okay, Brian? Yeah, Brian Eberly. Uh, best way to follow Eberly 18 on Twitter. Uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, you know, a great weekend with uh, playoff racing at Kansas. NFL starts this weekend, so all TVs will be in action all weekend long. It's great fall weather up here now in the Midwest um, today, so looking forward to that as well. Just looking forward to kind of the playoffs as we move through the motorsports season, as well as we got the IndyCar finale um, on Sunday. I know Pelosi already clinched the championship, but always great to check those guys out as well. And obviously, plenty of local short track racing going on everywhere as well, although those seasons are kind of winding down here in the Midwest with tracks having some of their, their last events of the season. Okay. Uh, really appreciate you, uh, Brian, uh, as well as you, Andy. Uh, Jay, I appreciate you being able to fill in uh, the last couple of weeks here for Sal, so thank you. Oh, that's always my pleasure. I'm glad to when I able, and I know Andy helped out uh, on – Tuesday, as it was, uh, filling in for me there uh, as well. So great crew here. Um, you can follow me at Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, a lot going on with the NASCAR side. I'm going to try and watch as much as I can. But as Brian mentioned there, uh, be at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway, for the next two weeks as we have our final two weeks of the regular racing season coming up. But then I did pick up some stuff, some motocross and some other fairs I'm going to get the opportunity to do and have a blast with that. And lastly, I just want to say, Brian, I hope we can still be friends. Sharon says this, you know, we may disagree, but we can part as friends. If you haven't noticed, you're up for some race picks and you may not be happy with who took who in the truck series. So you're up for that next pick, though. Okay, and I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio on Facebook, as well as our website, fanforracing.com. Definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing this weekend. Uh, It's a big weekend in in Kansas for sure, and uh, four races, and uh, they're all going to be fun to watch. So uh, looking forward to Sal coming back on Monday night. Uh, for our live broadcast, and uh, uh, we'll see how that works out as we review the four races that are taking place in Kansas this weekend. Uh, and then Jay, Jay and I, of course, will be back for our podcast on Thursday for the Bristol preview, which should be fun. So um, with that, I think... Uh, I want to do a shout-out for all of our listeners for tuning in. We do appreciate you. I know uh, we have live podcasts usually on Monday and the podcast on Thursday. We uh, appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say. We have a lot of fun doing these shows, and we hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy doing it. Uh, And I've said this uh, multiple times, but I want to say it again. Thanks to our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, You guys have been great. Uh, you're always there to fill in uh, when somebody else can't do it, and, and that's very, very much appreciated. So, Andy, I, I skipped over you, but uh, I do appreciate you stepping in on Tuesday and um, for Jay for stepping in for Sal over these last couple of weeks. So, um, everybody, we'll look forward to uh, the weekend of racing, and uh, we're ready to sign off here. All right. Have a nice weekend. Enjoy it.
Okay, we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy your weekend of racing. Goodbye, everybody.